facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the final Friday of the month. It's the final Friday of Lent. It's the final Friday of quarter number one in the fiscal year. Is this year going to plan already for you? We're going to give you a chance to do a quarterly review of your life in all kinds of different areas later in the program. Looking forward to that. And speaking of finals, it's also the final four this weekend. How do schools benefit from exposure in the tournament? More than you more than you could possibly imagine. It is essentially free marketing, more students, all kinds of good things come from being uh, having a deep run in the tournament. If you're one of these schools like Florida Atlantic, for example, getting into the final four and not expected to be there. Hey, why did you pick if you if you've gone to college or university, why did you pick your alma mater? Why did you pick the school that you went to? Do you actually think that uh, college or university of post-secondary education is kind of overrated and not worth it, not worth all the student debt? What do you, what do you think about that? I'd love to hear from you guys. 888-914-9149. And time permitting, time permitting, we may not have time to get to this, but we'll see how it goes. If not, we can revisit it on Monday. I read a really disturbing piece about... Uh, you all know how sports gambling has really taken North America by storm and um, all the sports books that are out there now. Obviously, it's college sports are, are pretty big uh, on that front. And there, there have been some alarming cases of athletes, even college athletes, uh, being intimidated, uh, being stalked online, being abused by gamblers when things don't go their way because of something that they did in a game or didn't do in a game. Maybe the point spread didn't uh, turn out as hoped, and a lot of athletes are, are feeling kind of unsafe. And, and this is creeping into women's sports as well. It's a really, really dangerous situation, and we'll get to that time permitting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well, 888 But before we do that, I want to get you guys all set up as your phone calls are coming in. I want to uh, get you guys all set up for this Sunday because Holy Week starts this Sunday with Palm slash Passion Sunday. Of course, the reading of the Passion happens twice, happens on Palm Sunday. It also happens, of course, on Good Friday. And, you know, some people call it Arts and Crafts Sunday because people, a lot of people spend the entire Mass, you know, playing with their palms and turning them into crosses and all kinds of other crafts. Hopefully you can pay attention to the Gospel, but uh, I want to get you sort of prepped for that. Uh, It's the final Friday of March. It's the final Friday of Lent, and it is the final Friday, the final day of quarter number one. But we're going to have a great time on this final day of the week, and we want you to call in 888-914-9149's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. You can also email me, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. It's great to hear from you, comments and questions. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So I've set up all the pins for you. We'll knock them down as we go along, and I just want to real quick... Uh, hit the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to just kind of read to you the triumphal entry on uh, Palm Sunday from Mark's Gospel because it's because it's kind of short and sweet, and lots of stuff is in there. And here, here's I'm just going to just read you a few verses here from Mark chapter 11, and it says this: When they drew near, near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, "Go into the village opposite you." And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied 
on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door out in the open street, and they untied it. And those who stood there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments on the road, and others spread leafy branches which which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked round at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, that sounds kind of odd to us, and, and Mark's gospel kind of has some odd um, little, little sayings in there, and this is one of them. As he enters Jerusalem, he goes into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he kind of checks his watch, ah, it's getting late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's kind of anticlimactic after the, after the triumphal entry, all the pomp and circumstance, and ah, it's getting late, guys, I better turn in. Okay, that, that, what's really going on here might actually surprise you, but there, there's a reason why it's kind of a, it sounds like a bit of a dud of an ending, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Let me tell you really what's happening here. Now, first of all, this question about the cult. Jesus says, hey, just go into the village and immediately you're going to find a colt. No one's ever sat on this colt. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it. We'll send it back here immediately. Now, this does not necessarily imply any kind of supernatural uh, insight on Jesus' part, although it could, it could. What, what's going on here? In all likelihood, this is a prior arrangement that Jesus has set up. And so Jesus, the 12, they probably set this up already with whoever owns this cult. And it kind of shows how in command and in charge Jesus really is here. So he, he, by the way, I should tell you this also, this is kind of interesting. If you ever know, if you've heard about Bethpage and Bethany, and of course Bethany was the home of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, and Jesus used to go there and hang out with them and be refreshed there. And St. Jose Maria always used to say that, hey, the, the tabernacle for me is like Bethany. Because that's where I go to just like hang out with the Lord and be refreshed and, and draw that strength. But he, they go to Bethpage and Bethany. What does Bethpage mean? Well, Beth means house. Like Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethpage actually means house of figs. And you say, well, I don't give a fig. Well, no, it's, it's, it's actually interesting because later on, Jesus curses the fig tree. And then he goes back into the temple. Which, so, I don't know, there, there might be some significance to that. And then, of course, um, it's at the Mount of Olives. But anyways, anyways, this is um, intriguing, the the instructions given to these kind of junior disciples, if you will, to go in and and get this young cult. And it shows that Jesus is totally in control. And by the way, Mark's gospel was written to the city of Rome. That was the, the destination. And really, it's really the gospel of Peter, because Peter is the source for all this stuff. Mark is basically his scribe. This is Peter's gospel. It's his memories. It's his reminiscences. Uh, it talks about Jesus specifically healing Peter's mother-in-law. And you've probably heard the old joke. 
why did Peter betray Jesus? He was still mad that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. But um, all these little things from Peter's memory got into this, Peter's preaching, and it's directed to Rome, which is, of course, the heart of the empire. And, and later on in the New Testament, Peter's letters, he's got a couple letters, and he writes them to Babylon. Now, where is it? Or he's writing from Babylon. Well, he doesn't really mean Babylon. He's not really in Babylon. He's actually, that's a reference to Rome, which had become as wicked as Babylon in ancient times. And so, at any rate, the Roman readers, everybody who's Roman who reads this, this gospel, would have, they would have said, ah, the cult is kind of interesting because in, in the Roman Empire, they could just conscript animals. Like they could grab your horse and say, man, the Roman soldier needs this for a battle. And it's kind of a, a kingly thing to do. It's a, a very impressive thing to do. And it's kind of a move that the Romans would have said, okay, this guy, this guy is pretty important. He's a, he's a leader. He's a king. But it's also something that the Jews would have, would have picked up on as well because what happens? Well, we, we know that Solomon, of course, who is the son of David, he does exactly this same kind of thing. He rides his father's mule kind of like a donkey, into Jerusalem to become king. That's, that's what he does in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 to 48. You can check it out. And so the Jews would have thought, okay, it's a kingly move by Jesus. He's saying he's the king of Israel. The Romans would have thought, okay, this guy is really saying something here. And the people, it's, it's really interesting, the people, the people are spreading out their garments on the road. They're putting their garments for Jesus to to sit on almost like a saddle, and then also they're spreading their garments out on the road. Keep in mind that most people, they only had one coat. They didn't have a closet full of you know, Canada goose coats or whatever. Not that you would need them in that climate, but, but they, they, would, they would spread out their garment. And that's really a sign of, I'm giving my whole life. I'm laying it down. I'm laying down my life for Jesus. And, and you can simply tread upon me, if you will, <laughs> And I'm, I'm, it's a real, it's an incredibly poignant gesture. This is not nothing, okay? This is this is really means something to the people. And we're, we're kind of like that too. We have to give our lives to Christ. And that's what we've been trying to do this Lent. And we're also in so many ways like, like the donkey. And G.K. Chesterton had that famous poem called The Donkey. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but Chesterton... If he were alive today, he would be all over Twitter. He just would have been been so proficient at it. He had all these pithy little sayings. Why did you become Catholic? Because it's true. <laughs> I mean, when it all boils down to it, that's what it's all about. And there's a million reasons why it's true, but that is the only good reason to become Catholic at all. And I'm just looking up the poem, The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton. And it's such a cool, cool poem. And it's from the donkey's perspective on Palm Sunday. He writes, When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will Starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb, I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears, and palms before my feet. Oh, that's such a, such a great poem. Fools, I also had my hour. And so 
the donkey may be looked down upon as a beast of burden, as a, an ugly quote-unquote animal, but hey, the donkey brought Jesus into Jerusalem, and we, we kind of have to be like that donkey. We have to be hardworking, we have to sometimes put the blinders on, and, and really just kind of let Jesus be the star of the show. That's what we're all about. We have to bring Christ to the world. That's what we do on Relevant Radio, bring Christ to the world through the media. And so this is what, what it's all about, this idea of just like Solomon, the son of David, came into Jerusalem to be crowned king. That's what Jesus is doing as well. And, and later on, th- this is really interesting, uh, Jesus is going to get into all these arguments in the temple precincts, and maybe we can talk about that next week during Holy Week. He's going to get into all these arguments with the religious leaders. And he says, go look up this psalm and check it out and remember this. Psalm 118, which is a really messianic psalm. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's obviously a reference to himself. They're going to reject him. But it's interesting in Aramaic, Jesus spoke this language called Aramaic, which is kind of the street language of the day. And in in the synagogue when he was growing up, I'll talk a little bit more about this on, on Monday on the Faith Explained show, but when Jesus was growing up in the synagogue, there was this Aramaic version of the Bible, if you will. And here's what it says in Aramaic when it says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, in Aramaic, it says, the sun that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the religious builders of the nation rejected the very son of God. And so this is pretty incredible when you think about it in reference to Jesus being the son of David, uh, just like Solomon was the son of David. Jesus is a newer and greater Solomon, of course, being God himself. And so, okay, this is why it's really weird. I, I promised you I'd tell you why Mark has this kind of anticlimactic ending here. As Jesus goes in, the triumphal entry, the palms are at his feet, Hosanna, everybody's shouting, it's, it's incredible. And he goes into Jerusalem and he goes up the Temple Mount. So he's going down the Mount of Olives into the valley and up to the Temple Mount. And if you've been to the Holy Land, you know what I'm talking about if you've been to Jerusalem. Maybe I'll take you there one day. I'd love to go with you. And so he goes up to the Temple Mount, and it says he just looks around at everything. And it was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the Twelve. So that sounds kind of anticlimactic, but what's really happening there? There was this prophecy that when the Messiah came, there was, a, there was sort of a thought that, that was in the air at that time politically, that when the Messiah came, and this is a time, by the way, when a lot of the people of Israel were expecting the Messiah is coming now. We're under the yoke of the Romans. They're occupying the Holy Land. The Messiah is going to come, and they're obviously expecting a military Messiah, a political Messiah. We still look for them today, don't we? And they're expecting sort of a, a holy war to get started. Let's get this thing going. Let's, let's kick these guys out of our Holy Land and take charge once again. And so that's what a lot of people think Jesus was going to do. But he... He obviously had a very, very different perspective on this than than what many of the people were hoping for. But there was this prophecy that when the Messiah came to Jerusalem, that he would ride up to the Temple Mount, and the high priest was supposed to go out and greet him. Oh, you're finally here. We've been waiting for you for centuries. Welcome. Let's Let's get this thing rolling here. Let's get this thing started. And then... Peace, good times, this age of grace would be ushered in. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. In fact, this is, this is what Peter talks about. Like later in the Acts of the Apostles, when Peter is preaching in Jerusalem after Easter, 
He keeps telling the people, if you repent, if you repent, God is going to send a season of refreshing. But most of them didn't repent. And as a result, the city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And this is, what, this is why Jesus wept over the city. Because if you had only just accepted this offer that God has given you, the religious leaders rejected Jesus. Not all the people, but the religious leaders did. And so it kind of sealed the fate of, of the temple establishment. The Romans do destroy it in the year 70 AD. It was a catastrophic event in the history of the Jewish people. It's like the, it was like the very universe was destroyed. It was like the end of the world because the temple was constructed as a miniature model of the world. And the world, the universe to them, was just a gigantic temple. And so Jesus was hoping that Caiaphas and all the other ruling priests would, would come out and kind of extend that right hand of fellowship and, and say, we accept you as the Messiah. And he's making a good faith offer. Jesus is bargaining in good faith. He's like saying, you know what I'm trying to do here by riding in on this donkey like Solomon did. You know what I'm trying to do. This is not a secret. I'm not doing anything on the down low here. You get it. Maybe the Romans don't get it, but you certainly get it. And they don't, they basically diss Jesus. They don't come out to meet him. They know what he's doing. They're like, we're not talking to this guy. And that's why Jesus knows that his fate is sealed. His fate is sealed. He understands that. And he knows at that point for sure. Well, he already knew that, but he had always been predicting his death and resurrection. And we're going to talk about that on the Faith Explained on Monday. Did Jesus really predict his death and resurrection? Some people say the church made that up later, put the words in Jesus' mouth when the Gospels were written, but he never actually predicted it. That's hogwash. I'll explain why on Monday at 1230 on the Faith Explained. But Jesus knows he's, he's, his fate is sealed. And so that's why he tells all these parables about uh, the wicked vineyard tenants. He's talking about the religious leaders. They reject the son. They kill the son who owns the vineyard. And uh, he reminds me, hey, this, this is just unleashed to you. This is God's kingdom. This is God's vineyard. And if you reject the son, uh, things aren't going to turn out well. So we don't want to do that either in our own lives. We don't want to reject the son. And so this is a great chance as we kind of finish off Lent here and get into Holy Week that we have a second chance here. If you've been kind of, like, oh, you know, I, I haven't been doing that great in my spiritual life. I haven't been meeting my goals, my Lenten. That's okay. God is full of grace, and you can get back on the horse, if you will, back on the donkey, and, and really make this next week of Holy Week a really, really intense. Let's make it the best Holy Week ever. So that's another thing we're going to talk about. We're going to take a quick break right now. If you want to call in, 888-914-9149. This is also the last day of the first quarter of the year. Can you believe it? 25% of 2023 is already gone. How are you doing? We're going to give you a little checkup after this break. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show, only on Relevant Radio. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Continue to play on a Friday, a little Friday night lights. Hopefully, we're bringing the light of Christ into your Friday. It's K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 914 9149. We just got you all set for Palm Sunday. Give you some background on that from the scriptures. Lots of stuff coming on later down the pike today, too. Hey, do you think that higher education is worth it in the United States? Cri crippling debt. Um, 
tough to find a career sometimes. Is there a better way? Yeah, we're, as we're looking at the Final Four and the, and the schools that are involved in it this weekend, we're going to ask how schools benefit uh, from exposure in the tournament. Why did you pick your alma mater? It didn't have anything to do with, you know, uh, March glory. I don't, I don't know, but uh, I'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. In just a second, we're going to give you a quarterly checkup. We're going to see how things are going. 25% of the year, folks, is already gone. I can't believe it. And it's like when the Annunciation happens on March 25. It's exactly nine months till Christmas, and summer's not even here yet. Baseball season just started, for goodness sakes. Let's not start talking about that. Yeah, we got we got to do Holy Week. We got to do Easter. We got to do the Tritium. And we got to take a phone call right now from Dan in Providence, Rhode Island. Hi, Dan. Hey, Kale. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, right. uh, now, okay. So, I, I got to ask you. I got to ask you this, Dan. Let, let me just jump in. Are you a fan of the Providence Friars? Oh, of course. Yeah, I went there undergrad. Yeah. Nice. Awesome school. Nice, yeah. Nice. Unfortunately, it's, they it's got like knocked out of the home. tournament. Yeah, I know, but they did pretty good, though. They, they uh, did. Actually, I go to uh, try to make daily mass right across the street at St. Pius, which is a Dominican uh, parish as well. You know, you know the Dominicans are at PCP, too. So, but I just wanted to call in. Uh, when you started talking about donkeys, uh-huh. Uh, I just had a call because uh, donkeys have a cross on their back. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Really? But I go- yeah, I googled it and uh, before way, little ways back for some reason, and and you, you Google about you know a donkey having a cross on its back, and it shows you pictures, and it's very obvious. You see these a cross on the back of the donkeys. So mm-hmm. just the, the pattern of their of their of their fur it, it forms a cross. Yeah, well, it's say like the fur is gray, the cross uh-huh. would be black. Okay, so it's always a different so it's, color. It's very, yeah, yep. Wow. And uh, yeah, you Google it, and you'll see. You'll see for yourself. It's it's very uh, obvious. That that is and really intriguing. Because, yeah, I know the um, uh, this. We have the sisters over at uh, my parish, uh, the, the Dominican sisters, and they're really good. And they were. One of them was teaching uh, these little kids, uh, maybe first grade, about, you know, Jesus. You know, it was over there mm-hmm. on the altar. And, and she was talking about the, uh, you know, about the donkey and Jesus riding the donkey, you know. And so um, I was telling her, I said, did you know that the donkey has a cross on his back? She says, no, I didn't know that. So she's showing to the kids, and they're going, oh, and ah, they're getting really excited <laughs> about it. And you know? so it's, uh, <laughs> so when I heard you talking about uh, the donkeys, I just had to call and, you know, mention that. I'm so glad you did, Dan, and, and, and our own Patrick Alog, our crack researcher here at uh, the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, he confirms that, yes, that is true. Not that I doubted you, Dan, not that I doubted you, but the, if Patrick says it's true, I can take it to the bank. And that is really interesting, that it, every donkey has this pattern of a cross on its back, and we, we read that poem by G.K. Chesterton, The Donkey, which is a great poem for Palm Sunday. And, Dan, thank you so much for listening in Providence, Rhode Island, to Relevant Radio and for calling in to the K.O. Clark Show. Hey, let me give out the number for you to call if you want to do that. 888-914-9149. Toll free to talk to me, 888-914-9149. Now, you can also follow me on Twitter, at K.O. Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And speaking of Twitter, a guy who I follow on Twitter, Sahil Bloom, he's an entrepreneur, writes a newsletter called The Curiosity Chronicle. It's really interesting. And he he sort of put out there, and I'll share the link in the show notes, um, it's a quarterly review. And just as today's the last day of quarter number one in 2023, and I know our own uh, Preston Alex is working really hard on relevant radios, you know, end of quarter stuff and, and, and all that. 
And if you're involved in the business world, you know that you do that as well. But I think it's a good a good thing to do to kind of take a look at our lives, maybe look at some of the New Year's resolutions that we made in different areas of our lives. And it could be your career. It could be your it could be your own financial life. It could be um, your spiritual life. It could be your health life. It could be your relationships. It's good to take stock and it's good to course correct if we need to. And, and, and sometimes we get lost in the trenches and we get involved in putting out so many fires and so many things that happen every day, things that we've got to get done that sometimes we miss the big goals. We forget about the big goals that we've set for ourselves and we, and we, we really do have to course correct. And in fact, Sahil Bloom says that there's this concept in aviation called the one in 60 rule. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but the one in 60 rule means that for every one degree error that you're off track in your, in your heading, that'll cause a plane to miss its target by one mile for every 60 miles flown. So if you're, if you're off just a little bit, you're going to be way off course at the end of your journey. So it's, that's why it's good to sometimes course correct and, and look at those tiny deviations or maybe those big deviations from the plan that we had set up. And we, the goal is to just make our misses really small. If we have a small miss now, we'll have a small miss later. I, I heard that a lot, uh, trying to get better at golf, you know, pick a target out in the distance, even just one little blade of, of grass. I remember Annika Sorenstam used to talk about that. Don't just try to aim it for the fairway. Aim for a particular blade of grass in the fairway. Aim small, miss small. So that, that's kind of the idea here. So this is a good time to do it. It's the end of the quarter. It's a good opportunity to reflect on the last three months and make any necessary adjustments. And again, I'm going to give you a series of questions that you can use for this, but I'm also going to provide a link in the show notes. You can check it out. But these are great questions to ask for different areas of our lives, whether it be our spiritual life, whether it be our work life, our, our marriage, our relationships, our health, whatever your goals are. So here's, you got to reflect first of all. You got to reflect. So here's a couple of reflection questions. And you don't just learn from experience. Experience can be a, a good teacher. It can also be a really harsh teacher at times. But we we don't just learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on our experience. If we just have the experience and we never learn anything from it, it's a waste. So let's reflect on our experience here. That's a quote from uh, from John Dewey. So here's a couple of questions that you can use to reflect on the last quarter, which has already gone by. Number one, what created energy? this quarter and that could be that's a good question for any aspect your spiritual life what really got you going uh in your work uh in your exercise routine if you have one take a look at your calendar over the last three months and look through all the different meetings all the different activities all the different stuff the projects what created energy in your life write it down and and did you spend enough time on things that really kind of created that energy or did they get neglected. So the goal would be for the next quarter to spend more time on the things that create energy in in your work, in your relationships, relationship with God, relationship with others, that sort of thing. And then the second question is what drained energy this quarter? What drained your energy? So again, go over your calendar. What activities what people or projects consistently drained energy from your life. Write it down and, and don't, don't allow these energy drainers to kind of keep their hold on you. Uh, try, try, try to 
dial that back as much as you can. So spend less time on the energy drainers because, whew, and some people, they, they just drain your energy. <laughs> Maybe they mean well, but, uh, or certain projects or things that, ugh, you know, it's just, this is not a something that, that gets me hyped. And we always have to do things that don't, aren't necessarily, necessarily that exciting. They got to get done. Your taxes got to get done, all that stuff. But just a, just a couple of good questions there on reflection. What gave you energy over this last quarter? What drained your energy? Well, well now we got to go to the next phase. And there's really three phases here. So phase number two is to assess. You don't just want to reflect. You want to assess what's going on here. So Sahil Bloom gives three core questions that you need to assess your current status or where you're headed. So question number one, what is your most important thing right now? What is your most important thing right now? And by that, he means what is the big goal? What is the long-term goal that you're focused on? And it could be, I don't know, if you're an author, it's going to be writing your next book. Uh, but whatever your goal might be. And are you dedicating the necessary energy to it? Maybe your goal is to drop 20 pounds. Well, are you spending any time or effort trying to make that happen? Whether you're running or whether you're working out or trying to change your diet, whatever the case may be. It could be a work project. Are you dedicating the necessary energy to your most important thing? And again, this is where you can you can lose sight of the forest for the trees. When you're when you're in in the in the muck and you're dealing with all these urgent issues, you sometimes miss the most important things and gotta cut through the noise. So think about that. What's the most important thing for each phase of your life, your personal life, your professional life, your health life, your work life, etc. Okay, question number two for assessment. Are your current systems and habits aligned with my most important thing? So are your current systems and habits aligned with your most important thing? In other words, do you have the right setup to get you to where you need to go? That, that's what your system is all about. And uh, I mentioned this uh, author, James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. He has a saying that I'm going to paraphrase. It goes something like this. You, you don't rise to the level of your goals. This might actually be an exact quote, <laughs> but I think he says you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. If you're a fan of Atomic Habits, you can uh, correct me if I uh, didn't get that right. But our systems are really important. And so... You've got, to, you've got to have a, a setup. You've got to have a, a system that you need to get to your goal. It, it's, it, in a sense, it's kind of all about process. So here's a question that, that, that you can, sort of a follow-up question to this that you can ask yourself. If you didn't change anything about your routines, your setup, what you're doing from day to day, where are you going to end up? I think that's a really insightful question from Sahil Bloom. If you don't change anything, if you don't change anything about the way you're doing, doing stuff, where are you going to end up? Are you going to be off course or are you actually going to achieve your goal? Can, can you actually honestly say the way that you've set up your days and your life and your, and your whatever, is that going to get you to your goal or is it going to take you some, somewhere else entirely? And that's the, the, the great thing about us humans. We can actually project into the future and try to plan all the stuff out. Although obviously the, the will of the Lord is going to prevail. But if you don't like the answer, if you're looking at your setups and thinking, I don't really like where I'm, I'm heading here. I don't, I don't think I'm going to actually arrive at my target. I might arrive on another planet. Um, then maybe you need to revamp your systems. And then the last thing for, for assessing, the, the last question you need to ask, number three, what is creating a drag on your progress right now? And that could be, it could be your attitude. 
Maybe you have a, a negative, pessimistic attitude. Uh, maybe it's your environment. Maybe there's some stuff you need to change in your environment. Uh, that could be anything in your office environment, in your your homework setup, whatever it is. Um, maybe it's the people around you. Maybe you have a goal to become more holy, but you're hanging out with people that are con convicted about you know becoming the most the greatest sinners on planet Earth. And, and there was a there was a, a a listener who called in the other day who said, "Man, my my life changed 180 degrees." She said, when I stopped hanging out with people who had as their primary goal, vice, you know, just where can I party the most? Uh, how can I get blasted this weekend? Well, that, that really does affect you. Um, don't they always say that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with? So think about that. That's really important. Uh, what about your behaviors, your own behaviors? Are they creating a drag on your progress right now? Uh, what about your relationships? Are there things that are dragging you back from making your goals. Okay, so that is the second phase, which is assessing. So there's reflecting, assessing. Then the last thing is adjusting. Adjusting. You've got to make, if things are not as they should be, if they are, great, congratulations. But if you need, if there's some work to be done, I know there is in my life, I'm sure there is in yours too, we've got to make some adjustments. So how do we determine what adjustments to make? Okay, well, going back to these energy creating activities that we talked about, what really gives you energy, how you have to ask yourself how can you spend more time on the energy creating activities carving out more time for those and these these are the things that really move the needle in your life personally or professionally try to spend some more time on those that's number 1 number 2 what are the energy draining activities okay so if we can identify what the draining things are or the draining people maybe uh, that we need to sort of dial back here there's really three things we can do. We can either delegate. If there's something that's really draining and, man, like I, I am just terrible at accounting. Oh, man, I just, I, you know. But guess what? Um, Joey down the hall loves accounting. He lo it's, he's passionate about it. This, maybe he can work on the accounting end of things on that project. On that Maybe he can crunch the numbers and I can focus on the part that really gives me the juice. I don't know if you're working on a project. So how can you delegate, delete, because some stuff we should just maybe stop doing. We don't have to try to do it all, nor should we. Delegate, delete, or minimize, or minimize. I mean, some things we're never going to be able to get away from. Some, there'll always be things we have to do that aren't going to be our favorite things to do, but you have to do it at some level. But can you minimize it? Can you get away with minimizing it? So that's that's question number two. The third question is, are you dedicating the necessary energy to your most important thing? And if not, what needs to change? There's only so much energy in the day. So if we do have these, these big ticket items, these big goals that we want to accomplish, then are you spending enough time and energy on that thing to make sure that it actually gets accomplished? Question number four, what changes to, need to be made to your current systems or habits to more appropriately align with your medium and long-term goals? Okay, so it's good to have some long-term goals. And some of that stuff is guesswork, let's face it. It's like that old interview question, where do you, where do you see yourself in five years? Or Who knows? I mean, you can't really say that in the answer, but maybe you can. I don't know, because so much of planning is guessing. I think that's true, but but you, you still have to plan and, and just be flexible with that plan because God can change your plan. God can give you a better plan. And very, very often he does, believe me. Um what changes need to be made to your current systems or habits 
to align with your medium goals, where you want to be maybe at the end of 2023 or in the second quarter of 2023, the next time you do this quarterly review, where do you want to be? Long-term goals, where you want to be next year, next two years, three years, five years, five years. Think about that. And then the last one is, what do you need to eliminate from your life in order to reduce drag and accelerate my progress? Your progress, not my progress, but your progress. Drag is important. I, my dad is a huge NASCAR fan. He is glued to the screen every Sunday watching NASCAR. He's got my mom into it. She's now a fan. Big Joey Logano fan. So in NASCAR, of course, like they, they want to reduce the drag on their cars as much as possible. They want to make them as aerodynamic as possible. There are things that maybe are creating some drag. We can't get, advance as fast in the spiritual life as much as, as we want to as we want to go. Um, we we or in work or in our relationships. What's what, what are those things that are causing drag so that we can kind of get better quicker? That's just some interesting questions to to ask. It's a, a quarterly review, and there are many many quarterly review type templates that are out there. I'm going to put a link to this one from Sahil Bloom in the show notes. And here's another, here's the last thing, just a, just a tip that he gives. It's cool to do this by yourself, but it's also really good to do this in a small group. Two people, three people, you might want to share it with your spouse or maybe some friends, a, sort of an accountability group of some sort, a mentorship group, because when you get together with others and talk about this stuff, if they're kind of intellectual sparring partners, they can pressure test some of your ideas. Is this really realistic? Is it going to work? They can question some of your assumptions, give you some some positive feedback. So don't be afraid to, to think about this and make some changes. Be intentional about it because just like the, the plane can go hundreds of miles off course with a, with a, you know, just being one degree off at the beginning, in the same way, if you make some small changes, it can make a big, big difference in the long game. And, and in our lives, we, don't, we never know how much time we have left, but God is always playing the long game with us. He doesn't give up on us. He had every reason to. Uh, look back at your past, but but he's playing the long game. And his game for you, his long game for you, is that you will become a saint. That's got to be your big thing. It's got to be your ultimate big goal. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We will be right back after this break. Love your feedback on this, what you think. 888-914-9149. Be right back after this. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. This is our final segment of the week on this final Friday of March. It's the final Friday of Lent. Next Friday, it's Good Friday. It's part of the Tritium season. It's also the final Friday, the final day of quarter number one of 2023. And just before the break, we talked about how to do a quarterly review in all aspects of your life. If you missed that, if you missed the first part of the show, got you all set for Palm Sunday, uh, please get the podcast, download it, share it, stream it on the Relevant Radio app and relevantradio.com. It'll be up about uh, 15 or so minutes after the show ends. You can check it out, share it with a friend. I hope you do that. So if you want to call in, 888-914-9149. I want to remind you, you can email me a story idea or something that catches your eye. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on Twitter also at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And uh, speaking of email, um, Patrick Alog, who's working the phones for us tonight, you can call and talk. He'll be the first guy that you talk to when you, when you, when you call in, 888-914-9149. Why not give out that number once more? He actually sent me a really cool article because obviously this weekend it's the final four. 
And on Saturday night, the women's Final Four is tonight. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit, too. Caitlin Clark, what is going on with her? My goodness. Shades of Pete Maravich. 41 points, triple-double uh, in, in their last win, and now they're in the Final Four playing against uh, top-ranked South Carolina. It should be interesting tonight. But um, I, I, actually, I actually enjoy watching women's basketball, and I'll tell you why, because it's fundamentally sound. It, sometimes just I don't know I I'm just I'm I'm kind of a stickler for playmaking and and I don't know but anyways she's spectacular and uh, it's going to be interesting tonight so the women's final four starts tonight uh, the men's semifinal games are on Saturday night of course as you know and there's been so many upsets I want to congratulate Lauren one of our engineers at Relevant Radio for winning the pool she's a Notre Dame grad big sports fan and she won our company pool uh, who finished second producer Jim do you remember. I don't have, I can't, I, yeah, sorry, whoever it may be, um, uh, uh, your moment of glory, uh, your one shining moment, we got we to look at it, A-Log probably knows, A-Log, put it in the stack if you know. Father Rocky finished third, man, that guy just, he can't mess, he can't mess, he, he got the bronze, but um, but congratulations to Lauren, but nobody had the final four right, nobody had the final four right, and it's been a, a season of upsets for sure, Florida Atlantic, the ninth seed in there. Uh, part of the draw goes up against San Diego State, number five seed, the Aztecs. That's going to be the first game, uh, 6.09 p.m. on Saturday night, followed by number five seed Miami Hurricanes, beating lots of contenders on the way. Jim Lara, uh, Lara, Lara Naga, I believe I said that right. Um, incredible guy. He's like a grandpa. Like His parents love him. Or his, ki- his parents love him. His parents do love him, of course, but his, his kids really love him. Uh, only 37 people out of 20 million uh, got got the uh, got the correct final four uh, on the ESPN.com uh, uh, tournament challenge. Rich Pazinski, director of marketing, vice president. Um, uh, Rich, just for you, I watched your White Sox beat the defending champion Houston Astros last night. Saw the whole game; it was great. Um, he finished second. He gets the silver medal. Congratulations, Rich. Not bad. Not a bad showing. So Miami plays the number four seed UConn. A lot of people think UConn should have been seeded a lot higher. They're, they're, they're just rolling right now. A lot of people think they might take the whole thing, but here, here's a question I wanted to ask. D- does this actually help schools at all when their teams, when their sports teams do well athletically? And the truth is the answer is yes. With a bunch of exclamation marks after that, uh, higher ed dive. And again, I have to thank uh, Alog for sending me this. Um, sent me a really cool article about how March Madness success boosts admissions for colleges. And I want I want to ask you what why did you choose your school? If you if you had an alma mater, did, did it have anything to do with this stuff or not? Um, there's always there's always at least one Cinderella story. And here's a football example. Uh, schools talk about the Flutie effect. You all remember, of course, Boston College quarterback Doug Flutie, who threw an improbable Hail Mary pass to beat Miami's football team, uh, the Miami, Miami Hurricanes, in 1984. It's just a seminal moment in sports history in the United States. But that win for Boston College created a massive jump in applications for the school. It was a two-year effect uh, that was kind of this halo effect from the Flutie Hail Mary. And so lots of other schools have reported the exact same thing, a huge uptick in admissions after a great football season or a great basketball season. So it's here's one thing. It's basically free marketing for the school. I mean, you, you are uh, on television a lot. Uh, you're being broadcast on CBS, TBS, uh, all over the net. Free publicity on a national level. And this is really, really good for small schools that normally can't 
that don't have big marketing budgets, and they go from being no-name schools to kind of household names in America in just a couple of weeks. So think about um, uh, th this is this is why schools like Rutgers, you know, Rutgers in, in in New Jersey, of course. Rutgers spends millions on athletic programs, even though they're actually, a lot of them are money losers for the school, uh, but they do it for the exposure in so many ways. Of course, they're trying as well, but um, here, here's a couple examples from recent years. I'm sure this is going to be true of Florida Atlantic this year, but remember Florida Gulf Coast University? Um, when they made it to the, to the Sweet 16, they were a number 15 seed. It was a great Cinderella story. Their, their admissions went up 27%. Uh, when they had their tournament run. Remember VCU made a couple of big runs in the tournament. Uh, in 2011, they made it to the Final Four. Uh, by 2012, Virginia Commonwealth University had a 20% increase in applications. And what happens for, for, uh, for schools as well is that they get a big boost when they get out-of-state applications. So in two, way back in 2008, before they made big tournament runs, VCU had 92% of their incoming freshmen from the state of Virginia. But in 2012, after their tournament success, that went down to 85% from Virginia. So an 8% difference of kids coming in from out of state, and they probably heard about the school at some level because of the tournament, that meant almost $3.4 in tuition money for the school uh, in that 2012-2013 academic year. Remember the Butler Bulldogs? Remember the Butler Bulldogs? They made huge back-to-back -back Final Four runs in 2010 and in 2011. And, of course, uh, the coach of the Butler Bulldogs went on to coach the Boston Celtics, now the team president. Gordon Hayward, of course, was the big star of that team. And uh, he, he bounced around a little bit. I think he's with the Charlotte Hornets right now, but was a great player with the Utah Jazz. They made it all the way to the championship game, in fact, in 2010 and 2011 back-to-back. -back. A study was done, commissioned by the school, and Butler's located in Indiana, and they, they received national media attention that was valued at $1.2 billion. That's how they calculated the value of their team being in the national championship game back-to-back. -back. Brought in the school $1.2 billion in terms of the aggregate, uh, admissions, uh, free advertising, applications went up 52%. Unreal. Remember George Mason University? Uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. George Mason University got into the Final Four back in 2006. And once again, a professor commissioned his kind of his own study at the school, and he figured out that the university received an estimated $677,477 million. He's, he found $474,659. I don't know how he got it that exact, but in free media attention and advertising. And their, their admissions went up 350%. This, this is unbelievable. So alumni donations went up. So there, there's, there are huge, huge benefits uh, to uh, the athletic success of these programs. And you can see why uh, schools do want to spend money on these programs. A lot of people maybe think there are better priorities for the schools to spend money on. But but there you go. Uh, that, that's what happens there. And uh, whew, we're all set for this weekend. I, I, I can't wait for, for the games to begin I can't wait to uh, get Holy Week going. It's going to be absolutely great. So I want to remind you, uh, we're going to have some special programming next week on the Faith Explained Show, 12.30 p.m. Central. Going to be asking the question on Monday, did Jesus really predict his death and resurrection? Did he really predict it, or did the church make up that after the fact? Hint, no, <laughs> but I'll explain why. And also, uh, I've got a nice little Q&A mailbag question on the Faith Explained, too, about 
Are there any biblical roots for the papacy? Some listeners have been emailing me saying, I can't find anything in the Bible that talks about the Pope. Well, I'll show you where it is. I'll show you where it is, or at least I'll start. Uh, that's on Monday on The Faith Explained. Of course, we'll be back all week next week on The Kale Clark Show, too. If you missed an episode, please check the podcast, relevantradio.com, the Relevant Radio app. It's been so much fun being with you all of this week. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alec took your phone calls. I'm Kale Clark. Stay tuned, please. Timory's coming up next, plus Father Rocky later on the Family Rosary Across America. You won't want to miss it, and you certainly want to keep it absolutely dialed into Relevant Radio all of next week during Holy Week. We'll be with you, and we'll walk with the Lord to the cross, to the grave, and beyond on Easter Sunday, the resurrection. Can't wait to spend it with you. Take care. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.